The scripture today is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, page 186 in the New Testament Pew Bible. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charles, for sharing a closely guarded secret among the professional staff there. (laughs) Appreciate that insight. I want to add one word I neglected to mention, but it's an important word. Five years ago, our youth uh, began a ministry in Port Houston, which in many ways is, is like a developing country. And It's been a remarkable story. And then some months ago, the Adelphi Sunday School class became involved in that project and began to support them with their money and uh, their time and their efforts. And last uh, week, I had the privilege of going out there to see uh, what that class, combined with the city and the community and the school, had, had produced a wonderful park in Port Houston, a spark park out there uh, that wouldn't have been possible without our church and with the Adelphi Sunday School class. And I I want you to know how very proud I am of them, and I know that you're proud too that we're doing this kind of thing. In addition to that, every Wednesday night, our our youth leaders and many adults uh, bring uh, children from Port Houston here to this building. And they teach them about uh, Jesus. They give them a wonderful meal. The best meal they have all week is right here at this church. Uh, Last Wednesday, they brought 66 children down here on Wednesday night. And if you you aren't aware of something like that, it's just so wonderful and it's happening here and makes you feel great about our church, then you just need to know and be proud of that program and support it in every way you can. One of the things we preachers have to be careful about is, is using sayings uh, that might be uh, localized and certainly uh, restricted to a particular age group. I think about several years ago, I was talking about um, people jumping the traces. It was one of my favorite expressions, jumping the traces, until some uh, baby boomer came up and told me, he said, you know that no one the 1930s has any idea what you're talking about. And so I had to give up a perfectly good phrase and try to find another one. That's kind of the story of change and what uh, life does to us. We've got got to find a different way of seeing it. And it happens to all people. It happened to that uh, Mississippi humorist, uh, Jerry Clower, who died not long ago, that uh, deacon in the church. 
You remember how it happened to Jerry that he had to define some of his southern terms? He went in to get a, 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 his annual physical, and the nurse in charge told him that he should take off all of his clothes. And Jerry, being a modest sort, said, You mean I'm supposed to strip buck naked? And she said, Mr. Clower, what is the difference between naked and buck naked? <laughs> and he said, well, naked means uh, you don't have no clothes on, and buck naked means you take off your socks too. <laughs> we, we, we grow up, we grow up with these sayings, and we think everyone understands exactly what we're talking about if we're talking, if we're preaching in Michigan or wherever we are, but um, we, we have to be careful about our terms. And I, I thought about that as I was struggling to find the, the right way to, to get into this subject today. And I, I finally decided I, I would just say, I double-dog dare you. Now, let me translate that. When, when I was a boy, I got into a lot of trouble because people dared me to do something. That's a, that's a challenge, to dare someone. But to double-dog dare somebody is the ultimate challenge. Beyond that, there is no other. I mean, that is the jumping off place. So I, I chose that term, I double dog dare you, to get at what the Apostle Paul is saying here in the third chapter of Colossians. When he is talking about the Christian virtues in terms of a garment, and we are to put on these virtues just like we dress ourselves in our clothing. And the one which he lifts out above all others is the virtue of forgiveness. Now, he mentions a number of them. I don't have time for all those, but I want the one he, he gives more expression to is the importance of forgiving. If, if somebody has a, has a complaint against you or against each other, bear with one another and forgive one another even as Christ has forgiven you. But before he tells them how they are to forgive, he first of all gives them their incentive to forgive. Paul is a very skillful pastor. He gives them their incentive. And what is his incentive? You can read it there in the 12th verse. He, he says, You are God's chosen people, holy and beloved. A chosen people, holy and beloved. Now, all the way through the Old Testament, that was a description for the Jews only. They knew they were God's chosen people. And now suddenly in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying to the believers, you are God's chosen people. Here is another Israel. Here is the church. Here is another people through whom God is working, as he worked and works through the Jews. So you are God's chosen people. You are an elevated people, a special people. For you're, not only have your sins been forgiven because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, but through his resurrection, you now have power over your sins. You can rise above the ordinary. You have an extraordinary quality that enables you to walk in newness of life. 
And so before Paul gives them any responsibility for putting on these Christian virtues, he gives them their incentive, reminding them of who they are. I shall never forget as a child walking down the main street of Hazelhurst, Georgia. Pretty exciting on Saturday night. Town of that size must have had 2,500 people walking along the streets and hear someone, overhear someone say, that's one of Charlie Henson's boys. That's one of Charlie Henson's boys. When they said that, I grew an inch and I squared my shoulders. I was so proud. I was one of Charlie's boys. There's a quality about knowing whose son you are, whose daughter you are. Did you see that chicken soup for the soul in yesterday's Chronicle in the religion section? It was about Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones is the all-star third baseman for the Atlanta Braves. When Chipper Jones was in the minor leagues, he was doing so poorly they were about to release him. That means he would have had nowhere to go. He would have been finished with baseball. He couldn't hit the ball. He couldn't perform at, at an acceptable level. And then one day he was playing in a game and they had two strikes on him. And the catcher went out to speak to the pitcher. And Chipper is standing there waiting to be struck out again. And the umpire, who's getting up in years now, begins to talk to Chipper. And he said just this. He said, Chipper, you remind me of your father. Chipper's dad had been a great ball player. He said, your dad's genes are in you. When I look at the way you hold the bat, when I look at the way you swing, when I look at your arms, it's like seeing your dad all over again. That's all he said. The next pitch was thrown and Chipper knocked it out of the park. And he's been knocking it out of the park ever since. He looked down and said, these are my dad's arms. I'm my dad's son. And I've been playing like it ever since. Now, friends, we can live like it. We can look at ourselves and say, we are God's chosen ones. We are his holy and beloved people. And therefore, it is only right to expect us to be a forgiving, redeeming community. That's the incentive. And then how does he get into it? Why should we forgive? Maybe that would be the good question to ask. Why should we forgive? And the first answer I would give to that question is this. In order to be a community and to be the church of Jesus Christ, because in order to have community, you have to have a spirit of forgiveness. Anytime people live in close proximity to each other, they're going to rub off burrs in one another. Anytime in that, I've even heard rumors that in marriages, people sometimes irritate each other. Even, even in, in the privacy of people's homes. And so certainly in a church, in a church family, when people are, are in ministry together and making all kinds of decisions together, they're, they're going to sometimes rub each other the wrong way. And in order to have community, you have to learn to forgive, or else you have a community bristling with hostility, unresolved issues, tension, grudges, and bitterness, and unbelievers can smell it a mile away. 
They don't want to belong to a class like that. They don't want to belong to a church like that. They don't want to belong to any group like that because they get enough of that in the world. Our Quaker friends had it right. At the conclusion of every meeting, they would ask, are all hearts and minds clear? Hearts and minds need to be clear in the church. Maybe not clear instantaneously, but certainly clear every communion day. When we come to the table, we ought to be able to scrub our souls clean so that we start a new month with our hearts free and clear. We need it for the sake of community. We need it for the sake of community, not only in this church and in our homes, we need it for our nation. Our nation, the, the, the social fabric of our nation, is being threatened by the unresolved issues concerning this presidential election. You know what they're saying. The Democrats are saying that the Republicans don't want to count valid ballots. And you know what the Republicans are saying. They're saying that the Democrats want to keep on recounting until the count comes out their way. And so you have this tremendous impasse, and whatever way this happens to be resolved, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of need for forgiveness. There are going to be complaints all over the place, and those complaints will never be properly settled in a court of law, friends. Those complaints will be settled when God's people begin to forgive one another as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. So the first thing we do it, we forgive because we need community. We have to have community to survive. And the second place, why should we forgive? I want to suggest that, that's, um, that, that we have a lot of people who, who have a difficulty with it because they are saying, why should I forgive someone who's never apologized? How can I forgive someone who's never admitted that he or she is wrong? How do you do that? Now, let me tell you, it's real easy to forgive someone when they apologize. Uh, Jesus would say even the tax collectors and sinners can do that. I mean, when somebody says they're wrong, you can forgive them. Somebody called me the other day. It's a telephone call you never forget. Somebody called me who a few years ago got very upset with me, got very upset with the church, said a lot of hurtful things, and then left the church. This person called me the other day and said, I just want to call you and tell you I was dead wrong. Dead wrong is really wrong. I was dead, I, I was dead wrong. And you know, I love that man. I got all kind of good feelings about that man. I, all those hurtful things, he said, those are, that, that is forgotten. I'll never mention any of those things. It's easy when someone uh, says they're sorry, they apologize, but in nowhere in Scripture, there is nowhere in Scripture that tells us we are to withhold forgiveness until someone apologizes. Did you know that? There's nowhere in Scripture that tells us that. Indeed, Scripture tells us the opposite. Jesus said, if you're taking your gift to the altar and on the way you happen to remember that your brother has something against you, not you against your brother, but your brother or sister has something against you, then you leave your gift at the altar and you go and make it right. You get the impression that he thinks we Christians ought to take the initiative. Now, 
would you really, if you're still struggling with why you ought to forgive someone who hasn't apologized, uh, would you really put your wholeness and your salvation in the hands of someone who may never repent? Some people may never repent. And, and you would, you would uh, chance your salvation uh, in hands that may never repent. You would put your own wholeness there because there are some people for whom Matthew 18 doesn't work. You can go and tell them how wrong you've been, but they'll never tell you they've been wrong. There are people for whom you can put out the empirical data and you can show them the facts to show them that they're wrong and all the things that they've been saying, but they don't care about the facts. They, they have what the Bible talks about, an anger that's not a passionate outburst and then it's over. They have an anger which is defined as a settled attitude. They have a settled attitude. They have decided this way is the way it is, and they aren't going to look at it any other way. What if Jesus had waited for the crowd to apologize as he was going to the cross? What if he had said, hey, you haven't said you're sorry, I'm calling in the angels, I'm bringing in the troops, we're going to see who's the strongest? What if he had done that? What if he had waited until the crowd said they were sorry before he prayed for us on that cross that God would forgive our sins? He wouldn't have been our Savior. He, he would have, our salvation would never have been won if we, he had waited. Let me tell you something you're already beginning to suspect. Grace is always undeserved. It doesn't matter whether you're extending it or whether you're receiving it. Grace, the very definition of grace is undeserved love. So grace is always undeserved. And if we wait until we are, until someone says they're sorry or apologizes, we're missing out on grace. Your wholeness hangs in the balance. That's why you need to forgive. Your own, because the Bible says that, that, that a human cannot hate another and still love God. It's impossible. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother or your sister, then, then, then you're a liar. Or you say, I don't hate that person. I, I just can't stand them. You know, I, I just wish they were dead. I don't really, I don't really hate them. But, but, but your, own, your, your own wholeness hangs in the balance. To, to, this, to hate another and, and to carry that uh, for months and months, even for years, is to destroy oneself from inside. It is to see the erosion of our joy. It is to see that vibrant, uh, alive, happy, uh, spontaneous person shrivel up into a hollow shell of what they once were and become a negative, scowling, unhappy individual. It is to see an erosion of all of our joy because we're eaten up on the inside. There is something working in us and we've never come to terms with it. We've never dealt with it. We've never allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to set us free from it. I double-dog dare you to let him set you free today. Did you read that article about the fire ants last week? I'm sure you did. If you've ever uh, had a, a, a meaningful relationship with a fire ant, you know that they're, they're the scourge of this, these southern states, and they're just, 
spreading like wildfire, and they've studied a situation, and you, you put out all these chemicals, and it's bad for the wildlife, and how can we deal with the fire ant? And, and finally, they went back to the country from which they came in South America and discovered that the fire ant does have a natural enemy to, to keep them under control so they don't eat up our other ants. And, and cause all kinds of problems. And so if you read the article last week, you know that they've gone to Brazil and they're getting these flies that, that don't like the fire ants and they're bringing them in by the thousands. I've never seen one of those flies. I'm crazy about those flies already. I just, I don't like fire ants. And, and, and they come and they, 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 they lay an egg in that fire ant. And it becomes a larva, and then, it, and then it, it grows and grows inside that fire ant until one day his head falls off. <laughs> just, just his head falls off. Isn't that wonderful? Just his head falls off. I want to I tell you that an un, unwillingness to forgive is like that. A hatred, a long-held grudge, and a resentment is like that. Oh, you, you keep your head, your head won't fall off. You, you'll go, you still go through the motions. You get bitter and sour when they talk about pledges. You'll be unhappy when they talk about working in the church. You'll be unhappy. You can, you'll still say your prayers, but you can't finish one sentence with your mind on God. You're just going through the motions. You're empty. That's what resentment, that's what hatred does to people. And, and your head doesn't fall off, but your heart becomes stony and hard, and you become cynical and sarcastic, and, and nobody wants uh, to be around it. That's what happens uh, when we have unresolved issues and we won't give Jesus a chance to free us. Well, you say, Pastor, you've talked about why we ought to forgive. The Scripture clearly tells us, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. But how do we do that? How? how? Well, this is not a self-help clinic. Ours is not a self-help church. If, you, if we believe self-help had the answer, you could just buy that book at, uh, at the, beside the cash register and you wouldn't have to come out on a rainy Sunday all the way downtown or someplace else. We, we believe if, if you could do it, you would have done it. You don't, nobody likes to hurt. If you could have gotten that out of self-help, you would have done it. We believe that, that there are parts of the human soul and spirit that can only be reached by Jesus. There, there are secret places where we have been desperately hurt that, that only Jesus can touch and heal. And, and we can't do it. And our, our only responsibility is we have to be willing to let him do it. We have to be willing, insofar as we possibly can, to open the doors of our hearts and, and, and let him do that. We have to let him uh, try to uh, heal us. Did, did you ever try to, to dress a child that didn't want you to dress them? I'm telling you, you ever just start from scratch, like putting on the diaper and then all... Did you ever try to do that? I tell you, that'll test your religion, let alone your, your physical strength. Here, here is Paul talking about Christians putting on all these virtues like you put on clothing. 
How in the world is he ever going to put any of this on anybody unless they're willing, unless they're submissive? Say, come on, Lord, uh, uh, put that on me. Uh, put that on me. I, I, I want to wear that. I, I, I want to let you help me. Only he can do it. We're talking about something that goes so deep and stays so long that only Jesus Christ can reach those hidden parts. And he can set us free. That's what makes us excited every time we worship. The possibilities are so incredible, we cannot even begin to name them. Let me tell you about a preacher friend of mine who's retiring the same month I am. I want to tell you about an experience that, that sent him into the ministry. I told you a long time ago, some of you haven't heard it, but his, his father was a cabinet maker and, and, and a very modest business. They lived in, in poverty. They had a large family, and it was always just hand to mouth. But one day, his, his daddy had a chance to bid on a huge contract that would, have, that would have gotten them out of their poverty and moved them to the next level, that solid middle class, or even better. And so he, he carefully prepared his bid, as did several others, and then through some kind of chicanery, I don't know exactly what, one of his friends beat him out of the contract. And my friend who was in high school says he remembers how his father's face was distorted and twisted when he came home from that meeting when he learned that he didn't get the bid but was cheated out of it. He said for a long time, Every night, just before supper, his daddy would take the Bible and would go into the room and would stay for a long time. And they knew he was reading that Bible and praying. And then they would come out and sit down at the table as a family, say the blessing and eat their meal. He was startled at the change in his father. But then one day he said his daddy came out of that room and he had a smile on his face. And it was his father's face again. All those old lines were gone. And he sat down at the table and they pulled up their chairs. And as they reached out to hold hands, that big family around the table, his daddy said this about his friend who had cheated him. If he can live with it, I can live without it. And he never mentioned it again for the rest of his life. My friend decided soon after that that he wanted to spend his life talking about a Savior who could do for other people what he had seen Jesus do for his father. Pain asks only one question, friends. Pain has one question. Now that you have me, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with your pain? What are you going to do with that person who's been living in your mind rent-free for months? Are you just going on until you're eaten up inside and your heart turns to stone? Or will you come to Jesus, give him a chance, let him set you free? I hope you'll come. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, 
you who heal every manner of disease. Heal every dis-ease that we have. And grant to us that wonderful joy and peace that comes when we are in love and harmony with all those whom we know. Lord, if there is one for whom we do not pray, if there is one whom we do not love, give us the ability to pray for that person, knowing that as we pray, something happens to us, and we can be named the children of the Heavenly Father. We are your children, holy and beloved. Help us to love each other for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, my friends, we're going to extend the invitation to join the church. That's a given. But also want to invite you, if you'd just like to have some altar time, I'd invite you to come and, and uh, kneel here at this altar. I was, I was looking for a hymn, Ken. I think I, it's three, um, it's grace greater than all our sin. What is uh, that hymn? I had it and I Pull my bulletin out. Can you help me find that? It's just, uh, it, here it is, 365. Can you, got a hymnal there? Grace greater than our sin. Find a hymnal there in your pew and share with your neighbor. This hymn just uh, says what the Lord has put on my heart today. I want us to sing it. I want us to look at every word as we sing it. And this altar is open. If you want to come and pray, we'll pray with you. Will you come as we stand and sing 365? Thank you. 